Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here. Glad you're here, and you could probably be 800 other places, you know. It is the season of vacation, and, but we're glad you're here this morning. I tell you, I'm a little distracted this morning. I don't know if it's because I have vacation in five days and I cannot wait to be on vacation, or if it's something else. I had a professor in college that used to say that, talking about preaching, that you would feel really good about the sermon when you first start writing it and when you get it finished, and then Thursday comes and you're like, Satan tries to like tell you, that's, that's garbage. You need to start over and throw that sermon away. And, and I think Thursday has rolled all the way up to Sunday this morning. So I just want to begin praying and asking Jesus to kind of take over this moment because I need him to do that. Jesus, we just thank you that you are our living hope. We are so thankful that you fought for us on the cross and that you have won the victory. The victory is yours. Jesus, we ask that you would be in this, these next few moments as we get into your word. God, that you would just totally take over. Let all the thoughts of vacation and whatever that's distracting me this morning, whatever Satan's trying to rob from this moment, God, I pray that you would just Take over. Allow your spirit to move. God, speak to our hearts this morning. May this message, may the scripture that we look at this morning, may it be life-changing. May it penetrate our hearts and, and change our lives, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, a couple summers ago, we had been having some vehicle issues. We'd had uh, some problems with our van at the time. We had a minivan and and it seemed like every time we turn around, there'd be something new wrong with it. And I, I just, I kept taking it to this one particular repair shop in town, and they will remain nameless. Um, we'll let them be anonymous. Um, and every time I take it, they tell me there was something different wrong with it. And maybe you've experienced this before. You go, and, and, and it's like every time we go, there's something new. And, and, and I mean, it was like all summer long, from about late spring all through summer. I've calculated it up. We've spent almost $3,000 just in the summer trying to fix our van, different issues. And there was air conditioner and tire issues and all these different things. And come to find out that at least in the tire realm, we could have fixed everything with one repair. And they were like breaking it up in little repairs. And it was like $300 here, $500 there. And it just was racking up. And then come along Christmas. We got hit right before Christmas with a big bill to fix something on the van. And then the day after Christmas, it was like a catastrophic thing where something went wrong. And we're like, I'm not putting, I will not pay a dime. I wouldn't even pay a dime for someone to take it off my property. I'd just catch it on fire, burn it, watch it burn to the ground. I was so done with that van. We got rid of it, got a different vehicle. But through that process, a couple things happened. One, I became extremely suspicious of that garage that worked on my vehicle. You ever been there? You're suspicious. And I'm very suspicious of that type of vehicle. I will never buy that brand of vehicle again. 
I, I don't, if you gave me one, I'd be like, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I, I will never own that type of vehicle again. And, and, and again, we'll let that be anonymous. If you saw our van, then you know. But it, it just made me very suspicious. Have you ever been suspicious before of anything? Yes, no, maybe a few things. I am suspicious of some stuff. Here's some stuff I'm suspicious of. I am suspicious of this right here, roller coasters. I, there used to be a day when I liked roller coasters. That day is gone. I, I, I look at those things and I think that is a death trap. That is me flying off into a field somewhere. If it's a Cedar Point, hopefully I land in the water. You know, I mean, hopefully. I, I just am suspicious of that. Anybody say, yeah, me too. Here's something else I'm suspicious of. Now, it's kind of hard to see and you may not be able to tell what that is. But that is the slingshot ride. You know, and, and see, I think, we talked about this uh, coming back from camp this week. I think that this ride right here is like the way to rocket to the moon. They send astronauts to the moon in, in this right here. Uh, it's modern technology. And see, I see this and I think if I get on that, I'm going to die. That's my first thought. A few years back, my wife at the time, she wasn't my wife at the time we were engaged. Yeah, my other wife. She's not even in here, so she doesn't even know what's going on. My now wife was not my wife at the time. We were in Florida with my aunt and uncle. And my aunt and her decided after we had just had a big meal of Mexican food that they would ride this. And, you know, I don't even need to finish the story. You already know how it goes. It was not good. She was sick the rest of the night, felt terrible the whole night. And I was like, that's why I'm suspicious. This is a terrible idea. Who designed this? Uh, something else I'm suspicious of. Is, and it's kind of hard to tell. This is just a government building. Uh, not buildings in general. I, I, sometimes I'm suspicious, if I'm being honest. I, I, I think about our government. I see what's in the news. And I, and I go, I'm not sure they have our best interest. You know, now I'm not, not, not going to get political or anything. But sometimes I wonder, do they really care about what goes on with us? Or is it just about their own agenda and their own, you know, whatever? And so I'm suspicious. I, I watch movies like, uh, you know, with the conspiracy theory things and whatnot, and I just can't help. I know it's Hollywood. I know they're trying to get me excited. I can't help but think that's going on for real. They're doing that stuff. You know, that's just, I, I'm, I'm crazy, I know. Let's, what else we got here? This is just people in general, and he is a suspicious-looking guy. This John Mayer-looking-like weirdo, he is scary, I'm telling you. Sometimes we're suspicious of people, right? I mean, for good reason, if they look like that, maybe, you know. But, but sometimes even people that we know, people that we interact with, we treat them with an attitude of suspicion. There are just times where we're suspicious. And, and I don't have a slide for this, but I think sometimes we even get suspicious in church. In, with churches, for that matter. And I think... That far too often we approach our relationships with an attitude of suspicion. In fact, I think there's too much suspicion in our society. Now, uh, I will admit, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but there are things we should be suspicious of. But when it comes to relationships, I think we are far too often suspicious. Now, if you were here maybe three, four weeks or so ago... Uh, I did a message and we talked about anger and we talked about it was the trapped series and we talked about dealing with our anger and I want to kind of pick up where we left off with some of that thought and then some of the things that Pastor Mark said last week and if you remember when we were in that series uh, and we, we talked about anger we, we said this we were talking about what James had to say and he said that we should be quick to listen 
slow to speak and slow to become angry. That was kind of the the crux of the message. That was the practical advice that if we would figure out a way in our lives to be quick to listen, slow to speak, meaning that we're going to push pause on our mouth and what we want to say, play on the ears, pause on the mouth, and listen to somebody, then therefore it would affect our getting angry with people. It would change how we react towards people. And we, we said also that, that we want that this kind of lifestyle, this attitude, living this out, produces within us the kind of righteousness that God desires. That's actually the verse that follows, is that it produces the, the, that kind of righteousness that God wants us to have in our lives. And that's the kind of people that we want to be. That's how we want to live. And that's brought to you by, by James, the brother of Jesus. And if you remember, we pointed out that he didn't even believe in Jesus, that Jesus was who he said he was, until after the resurrection. So that makes it very unique that he would then say this. And we also looked at what Jesus had to say. And Jesus said that he was kind of taking this old concept uh, from the law of, of murder and saying that if you murder someone, you'll be judged. And he put it on the same level as being angry. And he said, even if you're angry with someone, that's like murdering them. And what we kind of talked about following that was the idea that when oftentimes we get angry with someone, it's not that we're actually out there physically killing people. I mean, most of us, I assume nobody in this room is doing that. I hope nobody in this room is doing that. But it's not about a physical death. It's a us killing the peace that exists between us and a brother or sister in Christ. It's killing the relationship. And so therefore, Jesus puts it on the same level. And we said that anger destroys or has the ability to destroy our relationship with people. It has the ability to destroy our marriage. It has the ability to, de- to destroy our influence or our relationship with our children, with our co-workers, with people that we interact with in a, in a given week, our neighbors, and so, so much. And, and we, we don't want to do that. We want to be uh, oftentimes right at one another, but God wants us to be right with one another. And that's, that's where we need to live. And so I, I want to talk this morning about something that I think happens long before we ever get angry. And that's this idea of being suspicious with people. We, we live with an attitude of suspicion. And I think that that happens and then we get angry. Or we, other things, you know, there are other things that kind of follow that sometimes. But I want to talk specifically about that this morning and kind of look at that, and we're going to be in the scriptures here in a minute. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can get, get ahead. We'll be in Matthew 22 to start with. Um, but we are suspicion. Uh, that's going to get really hard to say, even working through this. I, I, it's a tongue twister, man, so give me some grace here. We get suspicious. We are suspicious with each other. Think about this, husbands and wives. We are suspicious oftentimes with our wife or husband. Um, she spends a little money and you see it kind of go through the bank account and you're like, man, what'd she spend that $80 on? I bet you she bought some dumb dress that she doesn't need or another pair of shoes that wasn't for the shoe drive. It was to add to her collection that's piling high in the closet and she didn't need them or, or him. You, you see it, maybe, maybe you, you ladies, you manage the money. You see it come through. I bet, you, I bet you he spent money on golf again. I bet he bought another guitar. Or, or whatever. I bet he bought some more tools to put out there in the garage with all his other tools that he doesn't need, right? And we get suspicious with one another. And what we say, you know, we come home from work and see that dinner's not made, and your thought is, I bet she sat around all day watching her stories on TV. 
I don't know why I kind of have like an accent when I have to say that. You got to kind of like go southern a little bit when you say that. I, I bet you she did nothing all day and, and that's why dinner's not made. Or I bet you he did nothing and that's why dinner's not made. Or, or I bet you he left those clothes on the side of the bed for me to clean up. Because he thinks I got nothing better to do with my time than to clean up his stinky, dirty, crusty underwear. Amen? No? Okay. What about with our kids? We get suspicious with our kids. This is where I, I'll, I'll admit I'm guilty of this. I, I hear them playing in the other room. One hurts the other. And my first thought is, I bet she did that because she's a little brat. She did that on purpose. She's hateful. I've heard her over there. She's talking nasty and she's being mean. Or, or they spill a drink and you think, I bet you they did that because they don't care about this carpet. They don't care whether when people come over, they see that big red stain in the carpet and nobody cares about this house but me. You know, you ever had that thought? We get suspicious or they break something. And we do this with our co-workers, our, our people. If, if you have people that work for you, we treat our employees that way. Maybe even our boss. We think, you know, we, we think about people who work for us and it's like, well, they showed up late. I bet they did that not for any good reason. I bet it was because they're just lazy. You know, we see, we see that one person that works with us that, that got promoted, and you're like, I bet they sucked up to the boss. I'll bet they got him a real good Christmas gift this year, you know, and that's why they got promoted, or that's why they got the, the, the lead on that project. The reality is that suspicions, suspicion never leads us to the right kind of thinking when it comes to our relationships. It never leads us to the right kind of thinking when it comes to our relationships. And it never, ever helps our relationships. Suspicion kills the peace in our relationships. It kills the ability for us to love each other in the way that Christ has called us to love each other. Every time. Every time. And so this morning, I want to look at a couple passages of Scripture that I think kind of will help guide us in how to defeat this type of attitude in our lives. And specifically, the first text that we're going to look at, it, it has all kinds of suspicion in it. If you think about it, we're going to look at a story of, of Jesus interacting with the religious leaders of his day, and they were very suspicious of Jesus. And yet, this is how he kind of reacted to them. And so, starting chapter 22, Matthew 22, starting with verse 34 through 40 says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Now, i got to stop for a second. He silenced the Sadducees. So he kind of like told him, got them to like shut up, basically. And, and, and he kind of just let them have it. Now, the Sadducees in this day were a religious uh, group of people. They were part of the religious leaders of the day. And, and they were the, t the group that meant, uh, kind of were the elite group. A lot of the high priests came out of this group. And, and they believed... Uh, they did not believe, I should say, in a bodily resurrection. If you've ever heard this before, this is really cheesy. That's why they're sad, you see. I know, sorry. Can't help myself. Yes, boo, yes, boo. But it does kind of help you remember that, that they didn't believe really that there was anything after this life, and they were sad. And Jesus silenced them. There are some people in our lives, sometimes we just want to silence them, right? You know, and Jesus silenced them. And then the Pharisees get together. They're like, okay, now we need, they didn't get it done, now we're going to try. And it says the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now this question is loaded. There are 613 laws, and they're asking Jesus to boil it down to one. What is the greatest law? What is the greatest commandment? I don't think any one of us could say, yeah, I could do that. And yet Jesus, he, he has a response. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And so he brings it down to this one commandment and says, hey, this is the greatest thing. And then he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, so all 613 laws, all the law, and the prophets, everything that they said. So essentially, what we could say is everything from Genesis all the way up to Matthew in the Bible, all of that hangs on these two commandments. Everything hangs on love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's interesting is this first part, love the Lord your God, they would have known. They would have been so familiar with this. This was a part of a Jewish prayer uh, known as the Shema. I believe I'm saying that right. S-H-E-M-A. Shema, Shema, something like that. Um, they would have known that. They would have learned that as, as small children and prayed this every single day. They would have known that like the back of their hand. They were so familiar with this idea of love God. But then Jesus introduces something else into the equation. And what's, uh, when I started studying for this message, I thought they wouldn't have known that. That would have been unfamiliar to them. And that's what I was kind of thinking. But that's not true. They actually did know it. This was part, this was in Leviticus, in the law. It says this, Leviticus 19, 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So they would, have, they would have heard this. This would have been familiar to them. And what's interesting is, is the way Jesus kind of applies this. Is he says, love God and love your neighbor. They would have been familiar with it, but they would have only known it as the anyone among your people. So they would have heard this, but they would have only loved fellow Jews like their, like their self. So it was, it was like, it had like stipulations. So they would have loved people as themselves so long it was as their own people. Have you ever maybe been guilty of that? Saying, well, I'll love them so long as they're like me. I'll love them so long as I like them. Right? I think sometimes we do this. And Jesus says, comes along and he says, no, no, no. Everyone is your neighbor. Mark mentioned this last week. Where, where do we get this idea from? We get it from the story of the Good Samaritan. Because there's a man that comes along and, and talks to Jesus and he says, hey, who is my neighbor? You say, love my neighbor as myself. Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then tells the story of this man who everybody would have hated. The, the Samaritan people, as far as Jews were concerned, they were like dogs. They were as low as low could get. They were a half-breed people from the, the, the uh, Syrians come in and had conquered the, uh, the Jewish people. And, they, and they, as punishment, they were just these evil people. And as punishment, they said, we want our sons and daughters to marry your sons and daughters, and they're going to have children together. And that's where we get the Samaritans. And they, crazy enough, were unliked by both Assyrians and Jews. They were a hated people. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, this person that you've grown up your whole life not liking... This person that you've known from the time you were born as somebody who is, who is vile and, and, and just a half-breed person, that is your neighbor. So think for just a second, little game here, who is the person in your life that you have liked the least? Who you have just, oh man, 
If they were never around, I'd be happier. Got that person in your mind? That's who Jesus says is your neighbor. That person. That's who we're to love as ourselves. That's what Jesus says. Not with suspicion. Not with strings attached. As yourself. And, and you said this last week, and I thought this was great. It, it, if you think about it, it's like they're a part of your arm. They're like a part of you. They're beside you. And you have to love them as if they are you. It can be challenging. Paul comes along and he says it this way. And, and I love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Let me say that one again. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. Where do we hear this most other than in church? Yeah. Why do we hear this at weddings? Because it's this beautiful picture of what we expect to see at weddings, right? You don't go to weddings and think, I mean, you don't sit there in the, in the congregation and think, man, in a couple of months, they're going to get cynical, <laughs> right? You know, Seth told me this morning that they're getting ready to go on their honeymoon. I was at their wedding. I was not sitting there thinking, man, in a couple of months, she's going to be like, you're still here? And he's going to be like, you're still here? I can't believe we made it this long. They said they were doing the waiting, so they just wanted a little trial period, you know. That's why they wanted to wait on the honeymoon. <laughs> Kidding. No, I mean, we don't go to weddings and think, man, they're going to start being suspicious of one another here in just a few weeks, you know. It's going to happen. We don't know. We look at a wedding and we're like, man, there's so much love and so much beauty and hope and, and faith and trust, right? And potential. And that's what we see. And when we read this text, we can't help but think, wow, that is the picture and essence of love. And Paul is saying that that's the kind of love that we should have in our lives, not just for our spouse, but for everyone. For everyone. We should expect it and believe it at a wedding, but we should expect it and believe it at work, at church, at school, in the grocery store, in the parking lot of the grocery store, which is hard, I know. You know, we, we should see love, trust, and hope, and faith and, and, and live that out constantly. Because as Paul says here, I mean, ultimately this kind of love produces the right kind of thinking and the right kind of relationships in our life because this kind of love never fails. It never fails. Now, unfortunately, our suspicion will rob us of the ability to love like that. Our suspicion will rob us of the peace that could exist between you and someone else. It can totally rob you of a relationship with somebody it steals from us the kind of righteousness that God desires to be in our life because suspicions 
Suspicion says, or, or does, I should say, it keeps record of wrongs. It is proud. It does dishonor. And it does kill our hope and our trust and our faith in, in our relationships. It, it, it is a destroyer. And it says, when it comes to our relationships, suspicion says, you did this to hurt me. Have you ever said that or thought that? I mean, you, in, a, in an interaction with somebody else, something happens, they hurt you, they wrong you, and you say, you did this on purpose. You did this to hurt me. That's, that's what suspicion takes us to. That's the place it takes us to. And so when our kids do something, we react with, well, you did this to hurt me. You did this because you don't care about me. When our wife or husband does something, it's, it's you did this to hurt me. When our coworkers do, the, do something, it's like, well, you, you, you're just, what's wrong with you? You just did this to, to hurt me. The other thing that it says is it says, I'm not surprised you did this. How many of us have ever said that? I, I know I have. Like, I'm just not surprised they did what they did. That's just who they are. They're just that type of person. They are the kind of person that would not care about me because they do it to hurt me, and I'm not going to be surprised. And that's a sad place to be. That is such a sad place to be. Because that's, that's part of that stealing the peace, stealing the trust, stealing the hope that could exist between you and another person if you always react with, well, I'm not surprised they did that. I knew they were going to do that. Here's what love says, though. Love says I'm going to assume the best, which is the exact opposite. Wouldn't you agree? Love says I'm going to assume the absolute best in this situation, that they didn't mean to hurt me that they weren't trying to do this on purpose. I'm going to assume that when my kids spilt the drink, love says, I'm going to say, I think that there's a perfectly good explanation for why they did what they did. Do you notice the difference? Do you see how, how life-giving that approach is to a relationship and how, how life-taking the other approach is to a relationship? Because when your kids spill a drink, most likely it was an accident, right? It wasn't on purpose. They weren't thinking, they weren't over there in the corner, like evil grin and being like, I'm going to do this because mom's going to have to clean it up. You know, no, it, I mean, goodness gracious, nine times out of 10, you know, it, it was an accident. And love says, I'm going to assume there's a perfectly good explanation for why you hurt him or she hurt her or why the money was spent out of the bank account or why this happened or that happened. Yet so often we take the other approach. We operate from a place of suspicion. And I'm, I'm just admitting this morning, I fall so short in this area of my life. I, I realize that I'm the drink guy. Like that for me was, my, my mom growing up, if we spilled a drink, it was Mach 10 immediately. You know, it's like, oh, it's just a drink. No, no, it's not. That is some sort of acid that's going to eat through the floor and there's going to be a hole in the house. It's going to burn the whole house down. And, and that was the reaction. I mean, that was... And, and so that, you know, God lover, that rubbed off on me. And my kids do stuff like that, and I just have an outside-of-the-body experience. And I'm like, and I have to apologize later. And it happens so often, and it's like, why? Why do I react that way? And, and, and I, because my, my assumptions so often are not the best. They're, they're oh, you did this on purpose, or oh, they, they're not of love, and they're not of kindness, and they're not of, of peacemaking, in the relationship. 
You know, and, and, and I don't want to be like that. I want to respond and say, you know what? I'm going to assume there's a perfectly good explanation for this. Amen? Now, I do feel like I have to mention, because if I don't, I would be failing you, is that there are things you should be suspicious of. When somebody calls you and says you have like $50,000 worth of tax debt, and you're like, wait a second. And they say they're the IRS, but it's like the IRSS. You know, it's like there's something quirky about it, you know. You should be suspicious of that. If somebody calls you, Derek, you'll love this. And they say, hey, I need you to go and buy $1,000 worth of Best Buy gift cards and mail them to me. You should be suspicious of that, right? I mean, we've told so many stories of people that come in there and do that. that Derek could just, we could have a whole afternoon of just him sharing funny stories. But it's really sad because that happens. A few years ago, I was trying to sell an amp online. I wanted $225 for this amp. And I get a, call, I get a, get a message from somebody who says, I want that amp, I'll buy it. Um, I'm going to send you the money, but I'm going to send you a little extra because it's an amp, it's big, you got to ship it, you know. I'm like, okay, it sounded legit. Sounded good. And then I get the check for like $1,200. Like, it's a $225 amp. How much do you think shipping was going to be? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't work for UPS or FedEx, so I don't know. But I was like, man, that's a lot. And then I text him and he's like, what's the deal? And he's like, yeah, I need you to wire that to me, Western Union. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And thank the Lord for Allison because she caught that it was suspicious. I didn't. I just was, you know, I'm a little gullible like that. And she's like, don't you dare do that. So, you know, I take the check to the bank and they tell me, like, don't, don't cash that. You know, they're like, don't, 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 don't cash that. That's not going to be good. But there are, there are things we should be suspicious of in our life. But what about when it comes to relationships? Because I think that's different. With people that you know and you interact with in a given day that's part of your family, part of you, people you work with, people that you care about, how do we overcome this attitude of suspicion? How do we defeat that? Well, I think it begins with developing an attitude or developing a kind of a mindset of believing this idea deep within our hearts that suspicion will always fail us but love never fails. Love never fails. Taking that and just making that kind of our mantra when it comes to our marriage or when it comes to our children, when it comes to our coworkers or our neighbors or whoever, and we just say, you know what? Suspicion is going to fail me, but love won't. Love wins. Suspicion fails, but love wins. And may we allow that to kind of penetrate our hearts and carry that with us everywhere we go. And I think one of the ways that we do this is a couple things. I'm sure there's more, but I'll just give you two quick things of ways that I think we, we begin to build this into our life. And the first thing is this, is to trust when and where others don't. you got to trust people when and where others won't. You know, it, it's crazy. And I know that sounds maybe too simple, too, too rudimentary, but it's like we naturally don't trust each other a lot of times. We naturally assume that someone is going to hurt us or that someone is going to do something to take advantage of us. And what if we approached just here in the church, just here in this building? What if we started trusting each other when and where others don't? How would that change our relationship? How would that change the way we interacted with our spouse, with our coworkers, with our kids? If we began to say, you know what? I believe that their intentions were good in this situation. 
Jesus did it. Think about just the interaction with Jesus and Peter. Jesus and Peter had a bit of a rocky relationship, if you know this at all, um, for, for a few reasons. One, one of the first instances I think of is when Jesus and, and Peter, James, and John, they go up to the mount, mountain and, and, and Jesus is transfigured and Moses shows up and Elijah shows up and it's this beautiful moment and, and, and Peter and James and John are like, hey, do you want to build tents and just camp out? You wanna, we, can build, we can build huts and we'll just stay here. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here so we can just all stay up on the mountain and celebrate how great I am. There's work to be done. And Peter didn't always get it. And Jesus had to kind of correct him and say, hey, you know what? No. no. And then, I mean, as, we, as most of us know, he denied him three times. Even after Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times. How would you like to make that kind of mistake? Man, husbands and wives, if, if she told me, I know you're going to do this, and then I did it, oh, man, I'd never live it down. Right? You'd hear that for the rest of your life. Remember that time I told you you were going to do this and then you did it? Yeah, that, go do the dishes. You know, I mean, every time, forever and ever. And, and, and he denied him three times and, and, then, and then Jesus even pointed it out. He, he didn't get it right. And then there's a third time that I think of in, in the book of Acts. This is perhaps one of my favorite instances. He, Peter is a Jew and he's going to preach to a bunch of Gentiles. And he shows up there and he comes to the house. And in this day, as a Jew, to be in front of or around Gentiles, he would have been considered unclean for worship. And, and he comes in and he speaks to them and he basically addresses them kind of like this. Hey, uh, glad to be with you today, uh, guys. Just so you know, up until yesterday, I thought you were all disgusting, horrible people, not fit to be around. But I'm here today to preach to you. You know, now I've gotten it right. Now I understand the air of my ways. And that's, how would you like that for a greeting on Sunday morning? You know, what, what a way to kick off a message. And that's how, that was Peter. He messed it up a lot. And yet Jesus still said, on this rock I will build my church. He still used him. He still used him constantly to spread the gospel and reach people. Because he trusted him when and where others might not have. May we do that in our relationships. And then secondly, we've got to hope for the best, but allow our hearts to break. Hope for the best, but allow our hearts to break. See, suspicion is a tricky thing, and it, and it, and it takes us places that we shouldn't go. And it always says, well, I'm not surprised you did that. But hope says, I'm going to believe the absolute best about you. I'm going to believe the best about every situation, even though if I don't, even if I don't know the whole story. And in the end, because we're human, if you fail me, if you mess up, if you don't do it right, I'm going to respond with just a broken heart. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get prideful. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm just going to respond with a broken heart and say, maybe, maybe next time. How different is that? How different would that be if you approached relationships at work or with your kids and just saying, you know what, I'm just disappointed that you messed up. My heart breaks. But here's how we can do it better next time. Let's try to be better. I mean, wouldn't, don't you want that same grace and mercy when you mess up? Amen? I mean, I, I certainly do. Please, please show that kind of grace and mercy when I mess up. Because if I haven't done it yet, I will fail you. I will. 
Even on my best day, I'm like a C minus, you know? And I'm hoping that we will just believe the best and allow our hearts to break when it doesn't work out. And so what do we do? What do we do when it comes to our relationships and we want to defeat the attitude of suspicion? Well, I think it, it really is maybe as simple as just starting to pray over your own life. This idea of saying suspicion fails, but love wins. Suspicion fails, but love wins. Love wins in the relationship with my kids. Love wins in the relationship with people at church. Love wins in the, with the people at work, with my husband or my wife, with my boss, with my employees, with my coworkers, with my neighbors who have the annoying dog, you know, whatever. Love wins out in the end. Love wins as we try to reach Muncie, Indiana for Jesus. We, church, will never reach this community if we always approach with suspicion. But we will if we always approach with love. And may we be that way. May we do that. So this morning, I've asked Nathan to come and play a, a particular song for this morning. I was working through this message this week, and God just really laid it heavy on my heart, uh, this one particular song. And, and I gave him the option. I was like, you could do this one or you could do that one. And it seems that it worked out that he could do the one I really wanted. Yes. So, but I remember I shared this song at, at my grandmother's funeral just not even a year ago. And it's called Live It Well. And as I was working through this message, I was thinking about this, this concept of this idea that ultimately, deep down, all I really want when it comes to my relationships, my interaction with many of you, my interaction with my kids or my wife or my, my, my life as a pastor and as a Christian is trying to reach people is I want to just live it well. I, I want in the end to be able to say, you know what? I did it the best that I absolutely could. I gave it my best go. And, and I didn't leave anything back. I didn't hold anything back. I just lived it well. And so I think the only way that we can do that relationally is to overcome suspicion and say, you know what, I'm going to let love win out so that I can live this life well. The lyrics go like this. I don't know if they're going to be on the screen or not. He says they are, but... He says this, Take the burden from my arms. Take the anchor off my lungs. Take me broken and make me one. Break the silence and make it a song. Life is short. I want to live it well. One life, one story to tell. Life is short. I want to live it well. And you're the one I'm living for. Awaken my soul. Every breath that you take is a miracle. Life is short. I want to live it well. I want to sing with all my heart a life song. Even if some notes come out right and some come out wrong. Because I can't take none of that through the door. Yeah, I'm living for more than just a funeral. I want to burn brighter than the dawn. Life is short. I want to live it well. May we live every moment for more than just the day that they put us in a box. May we live it 
to connect with each other, to love each other, to lift each other up when we're hurting and when we're down and to, to not react and, 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 and be people who say, you know what, I'm kind of suspicious of you. You don't really, you're not my type or you're, you know, whatever. May we just love each other. May we assume when things go wrong and we mess it up, there's a perfectly good explanation for why he did what he did or she did what he did, what she did. May we live it well. So we're going to stand and if you would sing along, but if you, if you don't want to sing along or you want to pray or there's someone specific that you need to pray for or pray about, I just invite you to come to the altar this morning and I mean, maybe there's somebody on your heart that you say, you know what, man, I'm just, we have a broken relationship and we need to fix things. And maybe they're even in the room right now. And you'd say, you know what, I'm, they're here right now and I want to grab them and go to the altar and pray together and fix that relationship. I challenge you to do that this morning, church. May we live it well. Take the burden from my heart. Take the anchors off my lungs. Take me broken and make me one. Break the silence and make it a soul. Life is short.
awaken all my soul. Every breath that you take is a miracle. Life is short, I want to live it well. Life is short, friends. May we live it well with each other. May people say of you in your home, at your work, in this community, and in this church, and they, they, just, they just love well. They just love well. Don't you want that, friends? Amen? I don't know about you, but I want, that's what I want people to say about me. Not that, oh man, he dressed cool or he had awesome hair or one day I'll lose it, I'm sure, you know, or, or that, you know, oh, he was, he's just a really good preacher. He was good, you know? No. Who cares about that stuff? I don't get to take that to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus. He's a lot better preacher than I am. May I just love well in everything I do and everywhere I go. May we love each other well, church. Let's pray. Father, help us to do that. Help us to not be people of suspicion. Whatever that means, that we're being suspicious or that we are suspicious of others. God, help us to love each other well and let love win in our relationships with everyone that we interact with. As a parent, as a friend, as a husband or wife. As a, as a worker in this community. Help us to be more like you, Jesus. And may we make a difference in this community with our love. Go with us, Lord, as we leave this place today. And, and may we just feel refreshed and feel lifted up this morning as we walk out of these doors god may we just feel like we can we can take on this world with our love with the love of jesus and may we just believe in in our in deep in our soul that because of you god we can change this world and that we will do that very thing wherever we go and whatever we do we pray this in jesus name amen have a great week church god bless